Let's start by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandma's as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together. I think they grow out of the conditions that I've mentioned uh, all along. And as long as these intolerable conditions are there, as long as the Negro finds himself living every day in a major depression, uh, then uh, every city will sit on a, a powder keg and can explode over the slightest incident. I feel that killing is a very tragic way to deal with any social problem. There is no violent solution to the problem that the Negro confronts in this country. And this is why I have constantly said that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. After all, the Negro ends up uh, on the losing end. We can't win a violent revolution. Most of the persons killed in riots are Negroes themselves. Uh, the persons who end up not being able to get uh, milk for their children of Negroes uh, because things where they have to live are destroyed. So there's no uh, practical or moral answer uh, in the realm of violence to the Negro's problem. But I do understand the sociological, the psychological, and the economic. Okay. Hello, Baltimore. <coughs> My name is Tyrone Post, owner of BPPW Heating Cool. And welcome to our show, The Call Tyrone Show. And I'm here with my millennial co-hosts, my posse, my African-American history and cultural gangsters, Leroy Myers, who is a graduate student and teaching assistant at the University of Oklahoma. His area of study is the dynamics of African-American and Native American history. Say hello, Leroy. Good afternoon, Baltimore. I can hardly... And my other millennial, Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University. He is a socially conscious vegan and producer of the Channel 10 podcast featuring interviews with pioneer rap artists. Good afternoon, Baltimore. How's it going? Okay. Uh, okay. Well, today's show, we're going to talk about several, several things. We're going to talk about the, the uh, $290 million package that's supposed to be coming to Baltimore. And um, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, Port Covington project and how that that may or may not help us uh, um, as far as uh, as for as as far as uh, our community. The, the other day, I was listening to <laughs> the commissioner on on uh, on the uh, uh, a radio show. Recently, and he was talking to someone who was obviously black. They asked him, "What was he going to do to stop the next riot?" And by the way, yes, thank you. And by the way, uh, just just uh, I'm just getting started here. We had a few technical difficulties, but we're I, I'm, I'm back. I'm sorry, sorry, apologize. Um, 
the clip you heard at the beginning of the show was uh, Dr. King. Okay, that was Dr. King talking about his his philosophy on, on riots and all that. And we are by, let me get this straight, we are by no means uh, um, advocating rioting or anything. We, you know, Just as Dr. King said, the people that suffer the most from riots are the, are the uh, blacks in the communities where the rioting takes place. So we're, we're by no uh, means advocating rioting or anything like that. We're just, we're just here to analyze, you know, what went down in April and, and how this thing can be stopped. And, and, uh, and this is, and we're going to try to go over how you stop a riot. Okay. And, and people get the wrong idea on how to stop a riot. As I was saying before, uh, recently, uh, I was listening to a program. They had the commissioner of police on there, and, and there was a, a person who was obviously black had called in. He had a question and answer session, and he, he said that uh, what was he going to do to stop the next riot? <laughs> That's what he asked the commissioner of police. What are you going to do to stop the next riot? And I was shocked. And um, he said, and then before the commission even had a chance to answer, he suggested, you know, just pull up with your bullhorn and say, Hey, we're not going to tolerate this. Okay, yeah, that would go real big because you know what? The police cannot stop a riot. Okay, I don't care what you saw on TV. What they could do, they could contain it. Once a riot gets started, they could contain the riot. Um, you know, keep it to a certain confined to a certain geographical location, but they certainly can't stop a riot. Okay, and uh, and in most cases, I would submit to you, the police are the cause of the riots in the first place. Okay, if if you look at the incident, uh, let's just let's just go back to uh, the Watts riots in 1965. That started because of uh, the police mishandling of a motorist. You know, they they dragged the motorist out and, and you know abused the motorist and his mother and all this stuff, and then it started a riot. But the the underlying cause of the riot really didn't have a whole lot. Yeah, it was partially police brutality within that community, but it was also the social economic conditions that existed in that community that for a minute you know the riot starting in the first place, and and the way. That you uh, solve a riot is you deal with the socioeconomic uh, position, uh, conditions that precipitate the riot to begin with. You know, the police, law enforcement, by the time you got law enforcement there, it's almost too late. If you look at the Rodney King riots, again, that was caused by the police. It was caused by the police. You know, the police actually instigated, you know, the riot. Now, they had a whole lot of grievances, you know, with the, um, Rodney King and, 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 and with Watts, too, because they did a report after the Watts riot that said that the riots, the cause of the riots was a gubernatorial report that said that the, cause, the real cause of the riots was the social economic conditions that the people were living in in that community. They had a problem with police brutality. They had a problem with the housing. They had a problem with jobs, high unemployment. And these things, you, you hear these things, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's current. It, 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 it occurs over and over again, and that's what starts these riots. And, you know, that's, that's background for just about any riot, if you think about it, that's occurred, including the one that just happened in April. Now... With the Rodney King riot again, the police actually started the riot. You know, they they beat this man, you know, like a baby seal. They they pummeled him upside the head. They were they were hitting him with so many lefts, he was begging for a right. I mean, they you know they were hitting him with the police clubs, and I mean he looked like a pinata, you know. And it was clearly after he could not respond, he could no longer respond to what they were doing, but they were still beating him. And they didn't know, unbeknownst to them, somebody a citizen happened to be filming that. And that's that's what ignited that riot. And by the way, the Rodney, uh, the the Watts riots, thirty four people died in that riot. Okay, thirty four people. And so when people are saying the po- what the police will do for the next riot, I think they did find them last time. Okay. I, now uh, one thing I will say, the way the mayor handled that, I'm I'm very pleased with the way the mayor handled that riot because nobody died. Yes, CVS got burned down, 
But CVS, guess what? CVS has got 7,600 stores all over the freaking world. They make $139 billion a year. And guess what? There's a new store there, even as we speak. You go down there, if you want to go to CVS, you go right down and, and, and go to CVS. Now, as, as bad as it was that, that that store got burned down, I would not have wanted to see a single young black person get killed for, because of CVS. And, and by the way, the Rodney King riots resulted in 55 deaths. Okay? Baltimore riots again. No deaths. Rodney King riots, 55 deaths. Uh, the, um, the, the riots in Watts resulted in 34 deaths. Okay? So, I think the riots... <laughs> relatively speaking, went fine in Baltimore. And I don't think we need to um, uh, be, be getting overly aggressive with, with police who may be trigger happy. Some may not be. Some They are good police. You know, most of them are good. But we don't want pe- people getting the idea that, um, you know, we need to have the police come down and these people crack some heads because that's what's going to happen. You, the way you put down a, a riot with violence is people die and you crack them beside the head. Okay? We don't want that done to our kids. Let's get that understood, okay, people, before we start suggesting. And let's see what Malcolm, by the way, let's see what Malcolm uh, had to say about the uh, riots uh, or about police brutality in general. Uh, so, example, uh, Commissioner Murphy, almost every statement that Commissioner Murphy makes uh, would give you the impression that he's encouraging the police, rank and file policemen, that uh, to take whatever method or measures necessary to hold the Negroes in check. Uh, he feeds the type of statistics to the white public to make them think that Harlem is a complete criminal area that everyone is prone toward violence. This gives the police the uh, impression that they can then go and brutalize the Negroes or suppress the Negroes or even frighten the Negroes. Whenever something happens, 20 police cars converge on one area. This doesn't frighten Negroes. So it means that someone is either misinforming Commissioner Murphy and making him use tactics this year that he would not use four years ago or that the former policeman Kennedy would not use. And and this uh, force that is so visible in the Harlem community creates a spirit of resentment in every Negro. They think they're living in a police state and they become hostile toward the policeman. They think that the policeman is there to be against them rather than to protect them. And these thoughts, these frustrations, these uh, apprehensions automatically are sufficient to make this, uh, make these Negroes begin to form means and ways to protect themselves in case the police themselves get too far out of line. Okay. As uh, Brother Malcolm so adequately put it, the overuse of police and creating the, the atmosphere uh, where there is a police state makes the, the people in those communities feel as if the police isn't really there to, to, uh, to protect and serve. They're there to, to oppress and contain. So when they get that idea, you, you may have some resentment to the police, unnecessary resentment in a lot of cases due to lack of uh, communication or even learning about that community in general. Okay, we got to call. Let's uh, take the next call. Okay, uh, next up we're going to go to Gene. How's it going, Gene? Yeah, hey, guys. How you doing? All right, Gene. How's it going? Uh, right. You're pretty good. Um, I think w- I'd like to chime in a little bit. I think what, we, what you, what you po- possibly what you're saying is if you go back in, in history, the citizens, um, the white citizens, would attack the black community whenever the black community came together usually for a positive reason, and, and maybe it was because they were trying to get, uh, you know, voting rights or whatever. But when you go back, you go back to, you know, Boston in the, uh, in the what is it, 19th century, and then in the, uh, the early 20th century, um, during the abolitionist period in Philadelphia, 
the, the uh, citizens would literally attack black people for coming together, basically for positive reasons. Um, uh, down in what was it, Oklahoma, you know, the same thing happened. But now the Tulsa riots, yeah. So, so exactly, so, <coughs> the, the Tulsa riots were mainly because of jealousies. You know that. that you know, the Tulsa was a very successful community during yeah. the time. You know, during the time where a lot of whites weren't doing so well, yeah, they and they got so. jealous, and they you know went in there and burned it down. They um, they claimed that you know what precipitated the riot was they claimed that um, a black man had tried to rape a, a white woman, which is the same thing that happened with Rosewood, exactly. and yeah, exactly. So, and, so, and may what, not even been true, you know. So, so so basically, what you have now is you have the uh, the the you know in the central police state, you actually assign that duty to. The, the uh, police, in a sense, so that the uh, you know good white citizens don't have to go c- come out and do it because socially now it's justified, and the police can handle those quote unquote riots. So it's usually against us. Well, in in in, in the case of uh, our modern society, um, we we've been so conditioned to accept second class citizenship that in a lot of cases we ask for that, and and uh, we ask for it with zero towering towers policing that happened recently. If you remember, um, Martin O'Malley campaign. On a um, on a platform that he was, you know, he would he would end all of the uh, the um, um, drug open air bar- drug markets, which I don't want drug markets being in the black community. But the problem with zero pol- to- pol- policy policing is it affects everybody. People that aren't criminals are, are routinely harassed. Well, you know, in certain neighborhoods. But, but my point is that even in zero to- tolerance, you know what I mean? We, in a sense, we agreed to it and we requested it. Right, we requested it at yeah. our behest. Yeah, and, exactly. and they gave it to us. They were more than happy right. to and give so it to mod- us. The modern riots, you know, after Martin Luther King's assass- assassination was, again, the black community turning literally on on itself and then imploding. Um, so, you know, I just want to make that comment. Now, I'm uh, very surprised. Um, uh, this is the first time that I've heard this issue addressed on the, on radio, especially Radio 1. And, well, uh, we, 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 hit some, we hit some hard-hitting issues. A lot of things, a lot of times people want to ignore these things because they're too painful to talk about. Yeah, but, uh, but and, we have to talk about it just like, and I hope that at some point in the future that you talk about the uh, evolution of uh, the... With Brown versus the Board of Education and how we got to our present education system too, right, which isn't all that great. Yes. And that was another thing that that, that uh, the inadequate uh, schooling was the other thing that precipitated Watts riot. By the way, yeah, okay. okay thank so. you very much. I'm enjoying yeah, this. Thank, thank you. Thank for you so sir. much. Call next week. And uh, Zach, you have anything to add to that? Uh, yes. Um, I just wanted to um, to make a point going back to uh, what Brother Malcolm was saying um, about how the police can often foster resentment within the community. And the uh, no um, the uh, no boundaries uh, coalition actually came out with a very detailed report on police misconduct in West Baltimore in conjunction with the Build organization and uh, UMBC. And uh, one of the uh, quotes from the report, um, it says that one typical narrative of police brutality is that force is necessary in high crime areas to combat crime. However, our testimonies confirm that. That other the multi-layered problem of police neglect, corruption, misconduct, and brutality. Uh, increased crime rather than deterring it as one witness said it used to be that if you did something illegal they patted you down they arrested you and they locked you up now they don't even arrest you they just take you in the alley and beat you up it doesn't matter what you do and then it says a shift towards police militarization zero tolerance enforcements and tough on crime sentencing were all identifiable factors that have purportedly weakened community trust in the police um, so I definitely think that those were some of the factors that partic- that um that that you know uh, led to the uh, riots yeah, yeah. Um, some good point. How about Leroy? Uh, Leroy, are you here? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so, you know, you, uh, Eugene, Eugene, I believe his name was, uh, he brings up a good point, you know, trying to historically uh, contextualize uh, things that are going on with riots nowadays. And, um, you know, like you said, Tyrone, this is nothing new. Um, you know, this goes back until, you know, well into, like, you know, uh, well, well into, uh, you know, the days of slavery when, you know, when blacks tried to, to find ways and carve out, you know, certain spaces to, as spaces to try to find refuge from, you know, from, from violence due to racism, you know, from maroon, from maroon colonies, maroon settlements up to, you know, the, uh, the Tulsa district, the Greenwood district into, into black towns even here in Oklahoma. Um, and we've seen, we've seen these kinds of spaces, although blacks have tried to make, you know, certain spaces of refuge time and time again, you know, be destroyed, um, and some, and, and somehow some way be just, completely dismantled whether it's economically or physically by uh the larger white society yeah and as we said as we said before as far as the police and riots and then preventing riots you know you, a lot of times these riots in fact are caused by you know police forces violating the basic constitutional civil and human rights of the people they're there to serve and protect so yeah if somebody commits a crime you know, book them, you know, arrest them, take them into jail. Don't, don't do no extras, you know. And, and as a matter of fact, the uh, the thing with getting back to what we were saying initially about the police can't stop a riot. Um, if you look at what happened, first of all, Freddie Gray, the full Freddie Gray incident was behind police brutality or perceived police brutality of Freddie Gray. And then the day the, to, 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 to uh, hone in my point, the very day the riot started, the police were forming in riot gear up at Mondawmin, and they wouldn't allow the children to get on the buses. And some of them, in fact, were thrown off the buses that were already on the buses. So the kids went down to um, uh, the, the next major hub, which was north in uh, uh, North Pennsylvania, north and tried to board buses there, and they weren't allowed to board the buses there. So that actually, that over-policing actually initiated a riot that may have never happened, had that not happened. And as you can see, the CVS was the uh, was ground zero for the riots, and it was burnt to the ground. So the thing we're going to talk about some things that actually stop a riot. And as I said before, some the things that stop a riot are things that you do before the riot even starts. Okay, uh, now they're talking about a two hundred and ninety million dollar package that uh, supposed to be going through uh, the state legislature. So uh, two hundred ninety million dollars. That the uh, state legislature is, is supposed to be trying to uh, get passed. And uh, there are certain items in there that, that are meant to address uh, some of the, um, for the first time, some of the uh, hard-hit areas of Baltimore instead of just concentrating on the harbor. Some of the things that they want to do is they want to pay uh, full college tuition for some of the kids who keep the grade average as long as they stay off drugs and, and all this, you know some other stipulations. Now, I don't know if they need to put that in there all you know kids you know as by nature and i'm not condoning drug use but by nature kids make mistakes and they should be allowed to make mistakes they shouldn't be zero defect and okay you don't get to go to college. you smoke the joint so you get thrown out of the program so i'm i'm against that i mean i don't know why that's in there to take it out the, pre, the last three presidents of the united states again they smoked marijuana you know it didn't stop them from being president so why should that stop somebody from going to school a poor person from going to school because they smoked marijuana so let's just get you know let's just be realistic and let's take some of these stipulations out. I remember when I was applying for my license, and uh, for a long time, um, they had like three questions on the license. One of them was, 
was, uh, have you ever been uh, convicted of a felony or misdemeanor? And number two, and this is get a professional license, have you ever ha- had this type of license revoked or suspended in any state? Fair question. And number three was, have you been convicted or received probation before judgment for any drug offense committed after January 1st? 1991, which was a long time ago. That's a lot of years ago, people. I mean, if you if you um, committed <laughs> a drug crime uh, in, in January 1st of 1991, why would that be held against you to get a license? If you're trying to turn your life around, if you're trying to rehabilitate yourself, if there's a true opportunity to rehabilitate. So, I, you know, I do have problems with people with stipulations about drugs because a lot of times we're more vulnerable to being arrested for drug offenses than any other population multiple times over. So not, it's not that the other populations aren't doing the drugs. It's just that we're more likely to be arrested for things like marijuana than, than you know, when they, they would be let go. And studies have shown that over and over again. Okay, the other thing they want to do is keep the libraries open for 12 hours a day. They want to, they want to uh, ramp up programs to demolish vacant housing, similar to the program that, that um, Governor Hoare wanted probably for. And this is $290 million, by the way. And it's not coming because... And I'm, again, I'm not condoning riots, but you know that's why we're getting this money. And then looking at these uh, these these areas that are that have been devastated and been ignored all these years, um, uh, they want a Towson University program that helps to train for construction jobs. And I hope this is a real a real program and actually train you for construction jobs. A lot of people think a construction worker is a construction worker. It's not true. On a construction site, you got several different disciplines. You got electricians there. You got plumbers there. You have uh, sheet metal workers there. You have all kinds of different disciplines. In order to do those jobs on a construction site, and then you have laborers, general laborers that do general labor. So when you say a construction worker to a construction worker, they don't even know what you're talking about. They want to know what type of work you're talking about. So in order to get these things done, for plumbers, for instance, you have to go to school for three years. Okay? It's a discipline. You have to learn how to go to school so you can install plumbing, gas gas pipe, and everything safely without killing somebody. You, you have to... Uh, um, you have to get your certification. You have have so many years on on the um, job training, okay, just to become a journeyman. And in some cases, you got to go for five years. So depending on the type of school and the thoroughness of that teaching. So, and I, I remember when I entered the apprenticeship program, I had to pass a math math test. That's why I used to get on my kids about uh, education because everybody don't have to go to college. But if you if you want to go on a police force or be a correctional officer or anything that doesn't require college, you got to take a test, and you got to be competent in different areas like math, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. So it's very important that we focus on education and our kids should be edu- educated. Okay, money for after school and summer programs. I hope that includes summer jobs. Now, they said they were able to raise five, uh, enough for 5,000 jobs this year. Last year, they were able to raise 8,000 jobs. I mean, enough money for 8,000 jobs. And even Mayor, Mayor Blake admitted that that was because of the riots. You know, they were able to, that these nonprofits were, were investing money and all this stuff because of the riots to get those 3,000 extra jobs. This year, they don't have enough for 5,000 jobs. And, and again, the myth that these kids don't want to work is nonsense. <laughs> you know, up on the way down here, I stopped in uh, McDonald's and Popeye's, and there's a lot of restaurants up in Catonsville and places like that. They're loaded with black kids working, and they make a minimum wage. They want to work. Trust me. And when you put those summer jobs out there, they get full up. They get snapped up right away, you know, for, from day one. Um, the other thing they want to do is, is they want to um, give universities um, a preference for Baltimore businesses, you know, when they, when they do their construction. Now, I would like to know what a Baltimore business is. Is it a, a satellite agency to, to uh, you know, from a multi-billion dollar corporation that just put a business there and renting it so they can get, you know, the contracts or what? 
before I can agree with that. I want to know the ball. I prefer a small business and 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 specifically a minority business. Um, and they want sixty million for parks. Well, okay, we gotta have parks. Sixty point five million for parks. <laughs> so let's take the next caller. Okay. Um, next up on the line, we have Lady Maggie, and also don't forget you can call us at four one zero four eight one ten ten to call Tyrone and join the conversation. Good afternoon, Lady Maggie. How's it going? Good afternoon, afternoon uh, Maggie. To you and peace and blessings. You were talking about jobs, and somebody mentioned the uh, Rodney King beating in L.A. Right, right. What I was the point I was trying to make is that police. No, no, no. I'm not trying to grab stop you. Stop I want to share something yeah. to it. They actually start rising in a lot of cases. But go ahead. Yes, yes. <laughs> and capitalism does start riots because there was a, a shout from L.A., a cry from L.A., and it was, "If we don't work, nobody works." So that beating was actually something that you could say capitalism uh, manipulated in order to take the uh, headlines from the uh, people in L.A., the Negro people, the black people in L.A. who are demanding jobs. If we don't work, nobody works. That goes back to the movie, I don't know if you saw the movie called um, John Doe, where uh, the capitalists were manipulating the story of John Doe in order to sell newspapers. And war is also... Uh, a weapon that capitalism uses in order to profit to the point of greed, which renders other people um, in need, called unfit. So we need to start really expanding our view how capitalism, when it rules, it is a form of rule. It is not an economy. It is not a humanity. It is a form of rule and one of the ways it rules is by violence okay well thank you so much for your comment lady thank maggie we really appreciate time. you listening thank you lady maggie <coughs> now as we as we, uh, as we were saying before and as uh lady maggie indicated you know you can't you can't just concentrate on things like the inner harbor and ignore the rest of the city these people they pay tax they pay water bills like everybody else and then their tax dollars shouldn't just be um, used for think TIFs and stuff for wealthy developers. Uh, TIF is a is a tax inc increment financing uh, bond. It's something that the uh, let me see the, the Baltimore Sun paper they were calling it uh, welfare. <laughs> they, welfare for corporations. For, yeah, welfare for for the uh, corporations. And in, in one of their articles, they actually called it that. You know, and, and the, the TIF is so complicated. That most people don't understand it, so they don't even protest it. They don't. They don't protest it because they don't understand it. it it's just too, they made is it, is that way by design. It's so complicated. The average person, the average person doesn't understand it, but the people who are affected by it, they understand it. They get it. You know the, the accountants and all that stuff. The, the, the number crunchers for those corporations, they get what a tiff is. And uh, a lot of times we be giving away these tiffs. We're giving away these tips to these wealthy developers, and we don't ask for anything in, in re tangible in return for our, our underserved communities. And that's where I have a problem with a lot of stuff. Yeah, give them the tips, but use that as leverage to, to for instance, employ our young. And uh, places like Detroit, they were able to uh, employ 8,000 people in their summer jobs program, okay? And um, 
11,000 applied, by the way, and they had to turn some of them away. So, when again, young people do want to work. So, let's not let's just stay away from that myth, and it's much it's much of nonsense. Right now, what we want to do is we want to talk about the uh, Port Covington project. So, uh, I think we got we we got some information on that concerning the new project down at uh, Port Covington. My office. It's a tremendous undertaking. One Under Armour founder, Kevin Plank, well, is ready to you. take on. Yeah, He's even sure. running television ads about it. Work. His Port Covington project is moving forward, and Wednesday afternoon, Plank's development company, Sagamore, presented a number of proposals and plans, and most importantly, the price tag. This is a critically important project and a, a tremendous opportunity for the city of Baltimore. BDC President and CEO Bill Cole paid close attention and was intrigued by the numbers and the funding. As far as the development itself, it will be 15 million square feet, and of that, 5.5 million will be office space, 3.9 million for Under Armour's headquarters campus, 1.5 million of retail space, and the rest will be for hotels, manufacturing, and parking. In order for the project to become a reality, there needs to be all kinds of public infrastructure improvements. They include 17 new streets and 66 new intersections, sidewalks and bike paths with access to 40 acres of parks and highway and transit access from all over the city. And then there's the cost. In order to pay for the initial infrastructure, the proposal calls for $535 million from Baltimore City paid in tax increments finance bonds or TIFs. $900 million will come from federal, state, and private funding and then over a 25-year period 5.5 billion dollars will come from private funds to complete the okay okay as you can see that port company uh, project is a very big project and it'll be coming this way um it, it will come i believe quite soon and uh it's going to be financed um or mainly it's going to be developed rather not so much financed, but developed by uh under armor which was a corporation that was started in uh the, the uh, this guy's basement, his grandmother's basement, from what I understand, and uh, yeah, they have very very good uh, line of uh, of uh, sweat, um, what they call sweat wicking uh, athletic gear, you know, you know, I and they have nice underwear too. I wear some of it. I, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit <laughs> to it. Um, but uh, yeah, they have a lot of nice uh, inventory, and they become a multi billion dollar corporation, you know, and they say that they that they're I think it sells like three three billioners something around that range and they expect once they uh finish the project um to go up to like seven billion in sales so that's something that we need to look at um and they said it'll bring in a you know uh uh well councilman Kraft said it'll bring in a, re a renaissance uh in one of the, the reports uh to the city of baltimore but i hope we're not left out of that i hope our, our underserved communities are not left out of that renaissance so that that's the thing again they said it's going to be $535 million from Baltimore City in the form of TIF bonds, okay? The again, the tax increment finance bonds, okay? Um, normally, what, what would happen, they said they got to do like 70, 17 new streets and 66 new intersections and sidewalks and bike, bike paths. Ordinarily, what would happen is that the company, that the developers would pay for all that. What's going to happen with the TIFs is we're going to end up paying for it. And they expect it to re, re you know, Regenerate that money from the tax, future tax taxes they're gonna give to uh, the developer, which they would have done anyway. But normally the developer would pay for the, the new streets, the new intersections, the new sidewalks, bypass, and um, and then um, make recoup that when they sell the buildings. 
So there's going to be several buildings on this uh, development. It's going to take a lot of people to build the buildings. It's going to take construction workers. It's going to take um, people to man those or or, or, one, or person those buildings once they're built. So we need to be looking very, very, because, again, this is city money and uh, some of the state money. They want $900 million from federal, uh, state, and state agencies. And uh, then $5.5 billion is supposed to be private construction. So we need to be looking at, you know, getting our fair share out of this, these monies. Uh, go ahead, Zach. Um, I do think that, um, you know, we're presented with a great uh, opportunity um, with all of the influx of money coming into the city and the um, Under Armour deal. However, um, I think that we have to be vocal um, about it because it can go the same way as so many other projects have gone um, in the past. Um so, for instance, um, from the Baltimore City Development Corporation, uh, when you look at the top um, uh, TIFs in Baltimore, um, after the Port Covington project, you have Harbor Point, which oh, was yeah. $107 <laughs> million. You have Poppleton, which was $58.3 million. University of Maryland Biopark, $17.5 million. Mondawmin Mall, $15 million, which was, you know, ground zero for where the riot started and when you look at all this and the list goes on and then when you look at um all of these tips that have gone to these developers um and you know there are all these promises of um you know redevelopment coming into the communities but the communities haven't changed um even after all these and another point of interest is that uh there was a meeting um where uh the port covington uh tiff meeting where uh, Sagamore met with the Baltimore Development Corporation. Um, it was supposed to be a public meeting, but then they closed it um, to uh, reporters. Um, so it kind of makes you wonder what type of deals are they doing behind closed doors. And um, according to the Baltimore Brew, um, it says TIF financialing was passed by the Maryland legislature chiefly to aid economically distressed and blighted communities by leveraging public funds to encourage private construction and job creation. However, uh, Port Covington is zoned for industrial with no blighted community in the vicinity. Um, and the nearest neighborhood, which is Riverside, um, according to the Baltimore Brew, is a rapidly appreciating home-owning district of South Baltimore. Um, so it, you know, um, it makes you wonder what exactly is going to happen with uh, a lot of the underserved communities, such as, um, you know, Sandtown and, you know, the Park Heights area and various places on the east side. And, you know, so many blighted communities that we do see across the city. Um, OK, so uh, we're going to go to the half. We're going to um, take a commercial break. And then after that, we're going to talk about um, Dr. Claude Anson. You make some good points about those those tips, though. And we need to also concentrate on the fact that a lot of these underserved communities have large numbers of ex-offender populations and people with criminal records. And then the, the, the job needs have to be have to address the fact that a lot of these people have criminal records, which make them almost unemployable in a lot of cases. So we got to address that that population of people, too, because as long as you got unemployment, you want to have crime. That's it. I mean, one follows the other. And we wonder why there's so much unemployment. And a lot of us, a lot of middle class people were wondering why they were riding. They didn't know what the problem was because their needs are met. Okay. But a lot of people, these underserved communities, their needs aren't met. So we don't get it a lot of times. So right now we're going to go to the half and we'll, we'll go ahead and run a commercial. Did your air conditioning go bust this summer? Or do you need a new furnace for the coming winter? I think you better call Those other companies tried to reduce my family's bank account to zero. 
but when we called Tyrone, he became our hero. Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410-978-6889. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Okay, uh, <laughs> we talked about, uh, well, welcome back, we talked about the uh, tips and all that, and the, the main intent of the tips, as was said by, by Zachary, was that uh, it was supposed to deal with blighted areas, and, and this thing is being misused, you know, in a lot of different instances. If we were to misuse them, fine, let's misuse them, but let's try to get something in return, you know, let's try, let's try to leverage that to get something in return, and a lot of, a lot of times we were saying, oh, oh you know what? There's no unemployment problem in Baltimore now. Baltimore, as a whole, there is no, there's not not a significant unemployment problem because the, the unemployment rate in Baltimore last time I cared to check was 7.4 percent, and in Maryland it was 5.3 percent. However, however, in, in in some of our underserved communities like Sandtown, Winchester, and parts of East Baltimore, it's over 50 percent. It's 51.8 percent according to the Justice Policy Institute in Sandtown, Winchester. So, and this and, and we hover at like 50 percent unemployment nationwide for young. African American males, mainly because of the war on drugs and 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 policies that that uh, led to mass incarceration. So right now, let's talk about let's talk about unemployment uh, in in the uh, black community, and, and we're going to uh, go with Dr. Claude Anderson and see what he has to say about that. The author of Poweronomics. Uh, now, contrary to what anybody tells you, the unemployment problem in America is not 5.2 percent you hear a day in the newspapers and read read. That is not about black folk. That's about whites. They're only talking about people who are either getting unemployment compensation or looking for jobs. That's how they're getting that figure. The unemployment rate in America for black folk today is 34% nationally. Now, if you want to understand how devastating that is, think for a second. Follow me along. Think about this. When the unemployment rate in America for whites went up to 25% in the 1920s, they called it a depression. Now, the unemployment rate for blacks hasn't even come down to 25%. But when the unemployment rate went up for whites and hit 25%, they used every level of government. They said it's a depression and every piece of machinery, money, anything must be used to bring that unemployment rate down. And now with black unemployment rate, not at 25%, at 34%, nobody cares. They say we can't, that's not the role of government to help with the unemployment problem. 34% for blacks nationally. Now in Detroit, Michigan, Baltimore, and New York, the unemployment rate is 45%. Don't think that's bad yet. I'm giving you the worst stuff yet. In Philadelphia, I mean in Pittsburgh, it is 49%. And for black youth in this country, it is 57%. That's why you got your... Okay. <laughs> he, what, his last statement was, that's why you had your problem. That's why you got your problem with crime. Okay, that was Dr. Claude Anderson, by the way. He's the author of Poweronomics. And uh, 
one of the other statements that he made is that uh, if we if one in 10 black families had uh, businesses, we could we, we wouldn't have to worry about welfare. OK, because one, one of the biggest employers of black people are black, <laughs> black businesses, but only two percent of us seem to have a uh, business where we see, you know, seem to have businesses. And a lot of us are working for the government and uh, other agencies that have nothing to do with, with African-Americans. So if we can somehow, you know, uh, increase our share of entrepreneurship, and that's why I lean so hard on these minority uh, contracting opportunities that's supposed to be let for the city of Baltimore. And they can't seem, a lot of times they can't seem to uh, meet their minority contracting goals. And they were their their routine waivers granted uh, for these uh, these uh, contracting goals, and that and that's not right either. Uh, let's take next caller. Okay, next up on the line we have Dave. How's it going, Dave? Hey, Dave. Hey, yeah. All right. Over. Hey. I'm with Dr. Claude Anderson. I, I'm sorry, Dave. You're breaking up. What you say, Dave? I'm on a cell phone. Can you hear me now? Yeah, take it off speaker, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, a, I'm not on speaker. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm asking you, is this better? Yes, yeah, better. Up? I can hear you now. Um, yeah, I, he's right. It's only what two percent. Yeah, only two percent of us actually uh, have businesses that we can provide employment for our people. And uh, if we, he, he also stated that if ten percent of us, if ten percent of us uh, could have, uh, um, well, ten percent of, of of black families rather would have a business, then. We wouldn't have to worry about things like welfare. Oh, he also stated that since a lot of us are are working for the government and things like that, when the government starts to cut back, guess what? A lot of that's going to result in a lot of black unemployment because the government will cut back because the budget's getting too large, and we because we send all these jobs to China, we can't pay for our government anymore. We got to without borrowing money from China to do it. A lot of people don't realize that. So when they start making these cuts, when Donald Trump becomes the president, whoever becomes president, when they start making these cuts then government workers will lose their jobs. Then the people contracting to the government will also lose their contracts because they won't need as many contracts. And that'll result in further uh, black unemployment. So we, we got to start looking at entrepreneurship as some of the cures for some of our ills. And uh, yeah. one, one of the things we do on the show is we never, we're not asking for anything, really. All, we do, all we're saying is that we should get a fair share of things that any other taxpayer would expect. Right, and yeah. you're 100% right. And I think, you know, one of the fallacies that, you know, I think that people don't realize that when there's large unemployment, you know, nationwide, whatever, government, that's not its role to create jobs. Well, that's what Dr. Claude Anderson said, if you were listening, yeah. Dave. He said so that, when, have, let me finish, let me finish. What Dr. The point that Dr. Claude Anderson was, was making on that tape was that when, when they, we had the Great Depression, which was twenty five percent, okay? Why the the uh, the whole system of government was 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 put into play that they had this public works program and they had to do something. The all machinery of government was devoted to, towards putting people back to work. The government actually started programs, public works programs. The the Hoover Dam was built and all these other great projects were built by the government that put people back to work because the unemployment rate was twenty five percent. But now that the unemployment rate is 50%, as Dr. Claude Anderson said, or around 40% in most black uh, uh, underserved communities, it's not a big deal. Nobody cares. And it's not the government's problem all of a sudden. But when it happened well, in the Depression, when it affected all Americans, it was the government's, it was the government's problem. Right, right. And then okay. that was his know, point. Then that was an excellent point, too. Programs. 
did that bring us out of the depression? Or was it the businesses, you know, becoming, you know, becoming I can't hear you, Dave. Better, Dave. I, oh. Dave, you break uh, it up. How about now? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, did, did all of those government programs actually bring us out of the depression? There's a debate on that. Well, well, my, what my happened? Whole thing is, I, I, what happened I don't was, think the Dave, can really Dave, affect the economy Dave, much as people. Dave, what happened? Maybe it didn't necessarily bring us out of the depression because World War II happened right after that. <laughs> Usually, so well, a big my, war. That's yeah, my but, point. But, but let me finish. Let me finish. What it did really do, control. Dave, whether whether yeah. or not whether or not it pulled us out of the depression, what it did do was uh, provide an immediate uh, an immediate provide for an immediate need, which was jobs. For people who didn't have jobs, we're begging for apples in the street. It's called, it's called a band aid, and black people have been getting banded. That wasn't just for black a people. Long, for a long, a long they, time. They, I mean, they, the bottom line is when the economy's bad and there's no jobs, it's because the economy is not working right. Right. I agree. Funny. So you have to do that, and the only way we're going to get out of this. Is to be the people that own the businesses. Not right. even like I, that. I agree. I agree. But until that's we do that, it. but until we do that, that that program for, that was started in the depression was not for black people. It was for oh. all Americans and mainly white Americans. 100% okay. Agree. 100% so don't agree don't that. think that they were giving us something back then. What it did was it met the immediate need for people that were unemployed that minute. Not when one day when we come together and all have business that minute. To get due to uh, to get employment, so they can feed their families. It was just for that, and 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 it did serve that need for those people when they built the Hoover Dam and had all these public uh, works projects and all this other stuff. They were able to work to find work where they didn't have work before. Where they put like one percent of the population back to work with those programs, Dave. I don't that know the it. exact numbers, but from what I understand, it was, it was a success. It was, small. It was, it was what I got. What I got small. from it was it was a success. I don't have figures with me. But it did help. It did help. And then, well, and I, I don't think should, it was a success. I think it was something that all politicians do. Let's come up with a program. Look like we're doing something to satisfy. You would have thought it was success. Population, but in Dave, reality, Dave, you would have thought it was really a success help. if you were one of those families that had to eat porridge every night. I knew a guy that worked with me. He's dead now. He's probably about nine years old. He'd still be alive when I first started in the business. And he said they ate porridge. You know, I didn't know what porridge is. All I know is was three bears. It's some kind of like grain crap that you mix with milk. You know, that from well, grain. But, but he said well, that those programs actually helped him. I'm just talking well, about people, well, you know, you know I, I the something from starving. parents and grandparents lived through the depression. Huh? And grandparents that lived through the depression. We all we all have uh, grandparents living depression. We wouldn't be well, here. Dave. I'm just saying, <laughs> great, that, great that's, just, that, that's just one family out of what? Maybe it was like 25 million. So maybe they helped a certain segment. So you're that saying that? So you're saying of, that the government shouldn't have helped anybody? They, I'm not saying I'm not saying that. But the the, the fact that it's been around like the government can really do something to affect. Solve the unemployment problem. Well, I can tell you this: they is, they do is something not, to, is, is not real. It, it, it's okay, but a but they that's used to, to quell, you know, to keep everybody thinking the government is the be all the end all. Well, I don't it's believe exactly the government is the end all be all, but I do uh, know. Dave, I do know that the government provides corporate welfare, and nobody complains about about that. They give money well, away no, in the form. Wrong, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. They give uh, money. It ain't the wrong. They did. They give money away in the form of tips. And, and other giveaways, they they pay they pay wealthy farmers not to plant corn. Okay, so when the government's doing that type of thing, it's okay. When they give it to some poor uh, uh, guy that's living or, or a lady that's living with, with a couple children in the, in, in the hood, 
then, oh, it's a problem. Okay, but when well, we give away money to wealthy developers and people that are being paid not to plant corn or, or people that are, are have oil wells that did produce that year, then, then oh, it's no problem. I, it's, not, it's not welfare. People that don't need the money. Okay, but th- thanks for calling in, Dave. Good points. Good points. Thank you so uh, much. Thank yeah. you so much for your call, Dave. <laughs> Um, now, and uh, you can go ahead and give us a call. Call Tyrone at 410-481-1010. Yeah, we still have some time if you want to call in. Leroy, did you want to add anything? 410-481-1010, if you want to call in. Um, you know, also when it comes to uh, this, you know, th- this recent job recovery, um, you know, uh, we had to really look at the kinds of jobs that have been created that a lot of people, um, like a lot of people have, have been reporting on. Um, and a lot of these kinds of jobs that make up this recent job recovery under President Barack Obama are part-time jobs. Right, right. And, part- and they've, right. And Leroy, not to, not to um, not mean to interrupt, but they've been calling this actually a jobs recovery. And a lot of people don't even know that there's been a recovery. You know, but they, right. the recession is supposed to, the great recession is supposed to be over. Okay. The problem is that when we have re- recessions, I mean, these recoveries down, only the, the super wealthy are benefiting because they 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 move these jobs overseas, and the jobs that they can't send overseas, they import from somewhere else. You know, from other countries. Go ahead, Leroy. Sorry. Exactly, and um, and also, you know, these um these jobs are more conducive to creating the working poor, which is now you know um a really big deal. You know, millions of people in 2011 work uh were. Uh, were deemed to be the working poor, and you know, and then within this demo- demographic, African Americans are twice as likely to be among the working poor, um, which results in this part-time work. And within this part-time work, a lot of uh, the sector that the sector that really made up this this job this job recovery are the leisure and hospitality sectors, which you know, pretty much are restaurants, fast food places, uh, hotels, and right service sector jobs. Right, which in which also you know in this case you know th- this is this is where um you know the, uh, things like the port the port Covington project come like comes into play where right. they want to develop a lot of restaurants and things in that sector. So will it really help out um you know the sixty three percent um of black people within Baltimore? Right, and the thing about it is, a lot of times you you made an excellent point, Leroy. And then a lot of times with our with our large ex offender population, they should be able to get jobs. You know, yeah, okay, well. There's jobs available for them that may be low, you know, uh, minimum wage jobs, but those jobs should be dead-end jobs. They should be able to fully rehabilitate themselves someday with the prospect of making a living wage, okay? Maybe they may have to start off at a, at a minimum wage, but someday they should have the potential of seeing themselves making a living wage. And, and a lot of these jobs that were sent overseas, a lot of those, again, a lot of those plants that, that I actually worked in, they, 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 um, people were making in those plants making $30 an hour. Okay, $25 an hour, $35 an hour in these plants. Okay? And you can't replace that with somebody. You can't replace that job that could sort of support a family with somebody um, working in uh, Starbucks, you know, uh, ma- making coffee and lattes. I mean, that's great. It was great to have those type of things. If you're a rich guy, you know, you want to stop there and get your latte, it's great to have those people serving you. But um, we can't, our, our economy can't be simply based on. Uh, service sector jobs. There got to be jobs that are that are meaningful and not, not dead end jobs, and jobs that you can actually progress to different levels in management, etc., technology, etc. So that's the things we need to be looking at. And again, if we can get some of these jobs for for uh, places like Santan Winchester, um, and where we have a large ex offender population, large where where some of these place some of these blocks and 
East Baltimore, where almost every other house has somebody that's in, that's uh, been incarcerated. Okay, we need to look at thoroughly look at these uh, these populations. We want to stop the next riot, and that's what the program is basically about: how you stop a riot, and that's how you stop a riot. You deal with the social economic conditions that precipitated the riot in the first place. Instead of saying, "Okay, we're gonna bring the police out here and they're gonna crack some heads and tell you guys, look, we're not gonna tolerate this," you know, that's not gonna work. People, if the if people have already got it in their minds that they're gonna riot, then um, <laughs> it's already past the point of no return. You know, the only thing the police could do to stop the riot at that point is to get brutal and kill fifty-five people like they did in uh, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Central, South Central Los Angeles during the Rodney King uh, um, days, and or. 34 people like they did during the watch riots. That's what happens when a riot gets out of control. And that's what happens when you mismanage a riot. Okay. And try to stop it with police uh, brutality, which started the riot in the first place. And I just wanted to make the point as well, um, is that we need to advocate for, um, you know, education that is actually uh, job training. So advocate for things Absolutely. like coding in schools so that, uh, you know, our kids are learning how to actually program and be involved in the technology sector, which is, um, you know, a major economic driver in this country today. And even, you know, the uh, trades, um, you know, you know, make that a part of uh, public school education so that, you know, we're not being trained to be servants again, um, you know, you know, getting your coffee and you know right. shining your shoes and, yeah. and, and driving your car. That's basically uh, what it is. James. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, let's take a caller. Okay. And, and let me, let me, before I take this call, let, let, let me just say this. We're by no ways advocating that the government needs to be doing any everything for or anything for us, really. We just want a fair chance, just like other citizens, and we want a fair chance for our underserved communities to participate in capitalism in any, any form it may take. We don't want this uh, this um, cancerous uh, uh, cannibalism capitalism, you know, like the Romneys and stuff, where they shut these companies down, move overseas, think they did something, and pay themselves a bonus. We want something that works for the people. And, and it seems like, uh, as of late, capitalism is out of control to the point where they don't care about the people. They don't care about the country. Because we actually need the tax base to pay for a lot of the programs that our people depend on. We can't just send jobs overseas and think government workers are going to pay for taxes. The taxes are paid by private industry. And if we if we sit on tax base of China, guess what? We got to borrow money from China, who has an industry now. They got our industry to pay for our government. Next caller, Jay, you're up on the line. How's it going, Jay? It's going very good. I really like the program. I've been finding the last three or four weeks. And I thought you find it very interesting. Well, why'd you call in? <laughs> I don't think we ever talked to you. You're first time caller. Okay, well, this first time caller. But let me ask you: Is there? Is there any place, I've got a, a relative who's getting out of um, prison, I guess you, you could say, very shortly, and I don't even know where to begin to even yeah, so, to assist him, you know what I mean? Yeah, and um, that's what that's the things we're trying to address, Jay. All, uh, all people that go to jail, you know, yeah, everybody makes mistakes, but I, th- I believe, I, I totally believe that once you serve your time, pay your debt to society, you should not be penalized for the rest of your life. And that's right. the things we're trying to address. We got all this money coming to, 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 to Baltimore. As a result of all this unrest, you know, and, and, and people being underserved, if the money's going to come, let's use it for the people that got the money for us in the first place. Let's, let's use it for those underserved communities. Let's use it for those ex-offenders. Because if you don't have a, a, a real rehabilitation program for ex-offenders, guess what? They're going to recidivate within three years. Okay, that's the norm. And we want to break that cycle. And, then, and trust me, it don't take three years to commit a crime. It takes three years to recidivate. So all that time they're waiting to recidivate, 
they are committing crimes in our community and making our communities unsafe. And we don't want your relative, your loved one, to go back to jail. Uh, Where would you begin? What, what process would you begin to try to even find employment for that person or schooling or something? Uh, well, um, I just looked up. Um, if you check out exoffenders.net, uh, they have a page for Maryland uh, reentry programs and assistance, and they have a host of different places that you can go to, uh, such as the Jericho reentry program, uh, VOA Chesapeake Residential uh, Reentry yeah. Center, uh, Catholic Charities, Archdiocese of Washington. It's all up on that uh, website, uh, exoffenders.net. Because we pr- we pride ourselves as being a, a good information source, and we ca- try to come up with solutions as, instead of just complaining. And that's, oh, the, that's the whole purpose of our show. And we try oh. to expose things that are hidden in plain sight. A lot of people, these things are right out there. All you got to do is look, but they're hidden at the same time because we don't want to look. You know, because oh. we, we, sometimes it's too painful to look. Thank, thank you, so, you so much. And thank no you for problem. calling in. Call again next week, thank okay? Thank you for your well, comment. Okay. Right. Yeah, good call. Okay. Um, no, we got to start wrapping. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're um, nearing the end of our program. And I enjoyed the dialogue with everybody that called in. Great dialogue, excellent dialogue. But again, let's start looking at, and I'm sorry about the beginning of the program. We had a few difficulties, but, you know, I'm glad you bared with us and on all that we soldiered on. Um, so let's start looking at these programs that are coming to, uh, to Baltimore area and the monies that are coming to Baltimore area as, as a result of the riots. Let's not fool ourselves because these, these areas were ignored all this time. And now all of a sudden we're getting this money. It's not a coincidence, people. And I'm not in no way, sh- shape, or fashion advocating a riot. But, uh, you know, just just like Dr. King, I believe that, you know, violent protests won't get us, you know, uh, we can't win. We can't win a violent struggle in this country. For one thing, we're in a minority with 12% of the population. Okay? It's not going to happen. We're not going to win. So, and then we don't, they have all the weapons. <laughs> so forget about that. We need to find other ways to address our needs. And this concludes... Another exciting episode, an informative episode of the Call Tyrone Show. So feel free to tune in next week for another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Thank you for your time.